The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Running from Grace, the Gospel According to Jonah. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it uh, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleases to you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights." This is the word of the Lord. You can open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah or your app on your iPhone or whatever knockoff iPhone you have. And, or you can find a Bible that's laying around. We've got them laying around on the floor. You can grab it there. The book of Jonah. And uh, it's right after Obadiah, right? Really easy. Helps, helps us out a lot. Or you need, might need to go to the table of contents and find it. I want you to follow along with us um, because first off... Preaching, this is a narrative, right? This book is, it's, it's, it's kind of like 
it's part historical narrative. That's this first chapter specifically is historical narrative. So I'm not necessarily going to go verse by verse because we've already read it and we've kind of get the gist of the story. So it's good for you. It's only four chapters long. During your reading this week, read through the book of Jonah once or twice. Get a handle on it. And today I'm going to kind of refer to pieces of the story. Uh, and we're going to talk about, specifically today, we're going to talk about fear. Okay, if you go through this first chapter, you will see the word fear or afraid several times. It's a dominant theme in this first chapter of the book of Jonah. And it seems to me that there may be no more base of an emotion that is common to us as human beings as fear. Now, if you go back or you read books from a couple hundred years ago, fear was like every day in your face, right? We were mostly an agrarian society, so there was a lot to be afraid of, right? You were in constant fear of bad weather, whether it be droughts or floods or tornadoes or extreme winters, right? If you were to lose your crops, your livelihood was in jeopardy. Like you didn't have stuff stored up, right? So if, if I lost my crops this year, we could be devastated. And then if you wanted to travel any long distance, your travel plans were just wrought with danger, Right? Think of just, you know, the, the horses or the, the, the carriages or even going, you know, a, in a boat, right? In, in just an old rickety boat, right? In the ocean. That's just freaky. You go on Carnival Cruise Line, right? And it's a little freaky, right? And you're in this ginormous thing, right? But it's a little freaky. Imagine being this rickety old wooden boat. It's just crazy, right? So, so fear was a constant struggle in their life. Ch- giving, just giving birth, right? Childhood or childbirth was inherently more dangerous than it is today, right? Through some technological advancements that we've had. But if you look at our lives, I don't think today is much different. I think fear has a pro- prominent impact in all of our lives, with all of our advancements in science and technology that have kind of supposed to make our life easier and more palatable and maybe make our life better, they haven't done much to relieve our fears. Today, with a quick glance at your Facebook feed or the Quad City Times, or you watch the news, one of those news outlets, all of our ancient fears kind of rise up. They come rising back up to the surface of our lives from weather, right? Floods, tornadoes, fires, hurricanes, polar vortexes, right? We lived through that one this last winter. All of this threatens kind of our comfort. It threatens our way of life. Then on top of that, we've got stuff like the Islamic State, right? With brutal and satanic violence out to destroy anyone who doesn't believe like they do. Then we have, on top of that, the threat of Ebola or some unknown virus that has people wearing hazmat suits on commercial flights, right? Or on top of that, we have racism in our cities. And if you don't pay much attention to those big issues, right, because you're living in your life and your, your eyes are kind of down more on the, you know, your level, there's always the existential fears, that come from those big questions that are unresolved in our life, like, who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? What is he like? And could he actually love someone like me who's done what I've done and been where I've been? I read an interview this week with actor Shia LaBeouf from the new movie Fury. 
It's an insightful article on many levels. In it, he actually says that God sovereignly saved him during the filming of Fury. And uh, it's given him, God has given him a new heart. And I love, I mean, it's full of cussing. So I'll just throw that out there. I'm not going to cuss today. So just let you know that. But he says, I'm not, I'm not talking about God saved me in kind of a BS way, right? Some kind of joking BS way. I'm talking about God gave me a new heart and I've completely given up control of my life to him. So she has said, he played a religious uh, guy in this movie and he had to read all these prayers and do and, and learn about scripture and follow this chaplain around, around and he was doing it and he could have done it and just, you know, went through the motions. But by reading it, God sovereignly, in his words, saved him. And that's just something that Jesus likes to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes, right? Amen. Sounds great. Sounds like something our Jesus likes to do. But in another part of the article, it's a really long article, very insightful. And in another part of the article, she talks about his fears. He says, I would love, they go, what would you like to do? I would love to go to college. He says, "I, I never got to do that. He says, I've actually applied to college three times, but never went. Instead, he just keeps making movies one after the other. And the interviewer said, well, why don't you just take a break? You're loaded. You're super popular. Why don't you just take a break and go to school, do what you want to do? She has said, fear. That's what he said. You're only as good as your last thing. And I'm only thinking about the next thing. I've been a runner my whole life, running from myself, whatever, whether that whether to movies or drinking or drugging or calamity or whatever it is, I've always been running. I'm a dude who loves delusion. That's why I love being an actor. I never have to actually look at myself or be faced with my or take responsibility, right? Now, that is some, that is, I would almost say that's insight that's only given through the Holy Spirit right there right? That he can see into his own heart in such a way to say, I'm running from my issues. I'm afraid of real life. And being in these movies is a form of delusion for me. It's a way to deliver me from this fear of failure, from this fear of being normal, this fear of being forgotten. See, she is wealthy. He's popular. He's successful, but he's so afraid of people forgetting him. He's so afraid of being a failure in his own eyes. He can't even take a break to do something he really wants to do, like go to school. He's trapped by his fear. And up until this last movie, let's pray his, listen, his acting was his savior. His acting was his way to save himself from his fear of failure. See, for him, acting was his self-salvation project. It was his religion. It was his way to deal with his fears on his own. And what we're going to find out today in our study of Jonah is, listen, there are only two ways to deal with our fears. Everybody has them. Everybody has fears and there's only two ways to deal with those fears. One, we can try to manage them and deal with them on our own. And any attempt at managing your fears or working out your fears on your own is going to be a religion, whatever that be. We're, I'm going to prove that to you later. Or secondly, we can let God drown our fears in the gospel. There's only two ways. Every human think they're religion, think they're not religious, uh, irreligious, religious. There's only two ways to deal with your fears, through religion 
working out on your own, or through God drowning it in the power of the gospel. It's the only two ways. One way, religion is about me. It's about my effort. And the other way, through the gospel, is about Jesus and Jesus' effort for us on the cross. That's where we're going to go today. Now listen, I read this scripture today, and it just or this week, and it just solidified in my heart. I put it in my little Bible memorization app, and I've been working on it, memorizing it. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is a snare. Now, if you know anything about a snare, a snare is like a little trap for, let's just say, a rabbit. It's like a noose, and they're running their own way, right? They're running their own work. They're running on their little rabbit trail, the way they've always ran, and then they get caught in this snare, and they're immobilized, they're caught, they're strangled, and they're, they die. And Scripture, Proverbs says, the fear of man is like that. When we're, the, our fears trap us, our fears get a hold of us, our fears grip us, they immobilize us, they keep us from moving forward in the things that God wants, and eventually they can even kill us. But today, we're going to learn how to let God drown our fears. We can't deal with them, but he can drown them. Now, last week, we started this study in the book of Jonah. We learned that Jonah was a prophet of God, but he was on the run, right? Crazy. Juxtaposition there. He was a religious guy who, on the outside, he looked sharp. He looked like a good guy. He was a moral and God-fearing person. But deep down in Jonah's bones, he lived with an ethnic and racial superiority that caused him to actually run from God. See, he was religious. Religious Religion is God, I will do this for you, and now you have to bless me. Okay, that's what religion is. You must give me a good life. You kind of really must, you need to do things my way. God, I'll pray and I'll give and I'll go to church and I'll be moral. But now I expect you to bless my life and kind of clear the rocks out of my path and give me a, you know, a straight path to success, whatever that means for me. Religion is a self-salvation project. It's a way to save ourselves from our fears. And Jonah, for Jonah, Jonah's greatest fear is this city that's outside of the people of God, outside of Israel. It's this people of Nineveh, right? The capital of Assyria right now. Nineveh, uh, I said it last week, uh, the, 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 the Islamic State has kind of taken over Mosul. They've renamed it Nineveh. Mosul is right across the river from Nineveh. Okay, so you kind of get where this is at. Now, Nineveh was Israel's sworn enemy. Assyria, the nation, was Israel's sworn enemy. And Jonah's greatest fear is that this enemy, this threat to his peace and his prosperity, would actually get forgiven by God and brought into God's family. This has just offended him. He hated the Assyrians. They were the IS of his day. So when God told him to go preach to preach grace, faith and repentance to Israel's sworn enemy, Jonah flipped. He's like, that's the line that I will not cross. That's the one thing I won't do for you, God. You tell me to do that. I'll do everything else, but I won't do that one thing. No. And he bounces and he runs from God in the opposite direction. He flees to Tarshish. And here in this story, we really get a glimpse of the great problem with religion. 
Religion, I'm saying, I'm going to say it a bunch, is a self-salvation project. It's a way for me to save myself from my fears. So Jonah desperately needed and wanted and craved to be an insider with God. And right, to be an insider, there has to be outsiders. For Jonah, all of his morality, all of his religious service was just his way to save himself from his fear of being on the outside. For him, he thought, I'm accepted by God because I'm a good person. So when God tells him to go preach to these bad people and bring these bad people in, it just short circuits him. He can't handle it. I'm a good guy. I'm an inside. Don't bring the bad guys in here. You're letting anybody in this place. See, religious people, moralistic people, follow God for what God can give them. They don't love God for God. They use God to get what they really love. For Jonah, that was his feeling of moral and ethnic superiority. He wanted to be an insider with God. So he's willing to use God to feel like an insider, to feel good enough and accepted. He didn't love God for God. And what we see God doing in this story is God is so gracious and so loving and so kind that he doesn't let us worship other things. He doesn't let us love other things. He doesn't let us be satisfied with religion. So he pushes on the very thing Jonah doesn't want him to push on, right? God goes after his racial and ethnic superiority. He's going after that. He's, gonna, he's got to teach this brother grace, not religion. So God is pressing on it because he wants to take that racism and drown it. He wants to take that fear and drown it. So God's pursuing him. Now, like most religious folk, any of us in here that struggle in that to be religious, Jonah is stubborn. He is proud. He is hard-hearted. Jonah shows us that you can look like a really good person on the outside, but still run from God in your heart. You can be in this room. You came to church, right? You've done the good thing, and yet on the run from God in your heart. And what matters is what's going on in your heart. Jonah's religious response to fear. So when God brings up that fear in his life and Jonah, Jonah does three things that we see. And this is what happens with religious people when their self-salvation project fails. So whatever they're using to feel good about themselves, to feel, uh, to deal with their fear. When that thing fails, we see religious people do three things. Number one, they run from God, right? So if you've been really good, really good, really good. And then you fall into some kind of sin, you step into some kind of sin, maybe you'll run from community. Right? You run from the face of God because you feel ashamed. You feel guilty. You've broken the rules. You run from God. Then we see Jonah. So Jonah's on the run. Then the next time we see Jonah, Jonah's in the bottom of the ship asleep. Right? Just try to sleep it off. Right? This is a despair. If you've ever, you know, tried sleep therapy, like just don't want to wake up, pull the covers over my, bed, over my head, and I'm just going to sleep till noon. Right? Or two or three or whatever you do. Right? He's just going to try to sleep it off. In despair. And by the end of the chapter, Jonah's like, okay, it's me. Throw me in. Just break, just kill me. Right? He's literally just like, throw me in the water. And it's funny because this isn't like Jonah being like super gracious and super. He's just like, I would rather die than have Nineveh saved. I would, I'm not going to, he could have stopped and repented and confessed his sin and got, went, he doesn't do that. He says, just throw me in the water. Just kill me. I'd rather die than see my enemies brought in. See, that's what happens when our self-salvation projects fail us. 
When our marriage that we thought was going to be perfect, when it fails us, right? We run from God. We want to just sleep it off. And sometimes we get so low, we just want to end it all. We want to be gone. We want to be over. That's what happens with self-salvation projects. Now, point number one, religious people get rebellious when their self-salvation strategy doesn't work how they want it to. Okay? So religious people, their self-salvation project doesn't work how they want it to. It breaks. God opposes it. God does something they don't want him to do. They get rebellious. They run off. They, fine, screw it all, God. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. If you're not going to do things my way, I'm out of here. They get rebellious. That's what we see. But now that's Jonah. And we're kind of done with that for today. What I really want to look at is I want to look at this other, kind of the anti-heroes in this story. And that's the sailors. Now, what's your opinion of a sailor? For me, I've got one thing, right? That person cusses like a sailor. That's all I got, right? And that usually doesn't mean that, that you know, they use Christian cuss words, right? That usually means that person's got, he, used, he drops the F-bomb a lot. I just flipped it on last night, some, uh, some show on Discovery with, that, had, that was with, with sailors, and it was just like, beep, 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 beep. It was just bleep, every other word was getting bleeped out, right? So sailors, for whatever reason, sailors know how to cuss, right? right? They just, they've got that down, right? So when we're looking at these sailors or these mariners, what, that's the type of people we're looking at, right? We're looking at kind of the, the anti-hero, the antithesis to Jonah, right? The sailors are everything Jonah's not. Jonah was moral. The sailors are immoral, right? Jonah was religious. The sailors are rebellious, right? Jonah knew God, at least intellectually, but these sailors don't know God at all. Jonah was the insider and the sailors are the outsiders. But what's really interesting in this story, if you look, by the time we get to verse five, as the religious man rebels, the rebels get religious. As the religious man rebels, the rebels get religious. We see this in verse five. The first thing these rebellious sailors do when they think they're going to drown, right, is they cry out to their gods. Okay, that's plural, right? These were polytheistic guys. They believed in the God of the sea and the God of the sun and the God of the clouds and the God of, you know, they brought their own little idols on board and they believed, they believed in just a myriad of different gods, So the first thing that happens, listen to this, these rebellious people that don't go to church, they don't need morals, they don't need this kind of stuff. The first thing that happens when a supernatural storm, something in their life that's so big, they know they can't get out of. And that for us could be divorce. That could be the loss of a child. That could be the loss of a job. That could be the threat of Ebola, Islamic State. That could be any of those things. For the sailors, it was a storm, an epic storm tempestuous storm where they said, okay, it's obvious. We can't do this on our own. We're going to die. So what do they do? They get religious. See, this is what Romans one teaches us. Everyone, every human being deep down is religious. Even rebellious people, when they get afraid, their response, their trigger response, their gut reaction is to get religious. Human beings have been built a mago day in the image of God. We've been hardwired by God to believe in him. We don't know, but we, the thing is, we don't, that's kind of a vague notion. We don't know instinctively what he's like. We just have this vague notion that he's powerful and he's up there and he's the creator and, he, and, and we owe him something, that he's out there. 
So we need to be taught the gospel. We need to be taught the word of God, what God is actually like. So storm hits, sailors get real religious, right? I, I'm always reminded of that, G, that, 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 that uh, it was like a cartoon or something. And it was about quote unquote, the rapture. And they're like, oh, Jesus is coming. Look busy, right? Like that's kind of like what's going on. Like, oh, storm's happening. Everybody get religious, pray. Get out your gods. Go to your, go to your bunk and pull out your little idols that you worship and go. And, he, and the, the, the captain is running around the ship making sure everybody's praying, right? You just hear this religious mindset. If there's one guy in this boat who's not praying, we're all going to die. We got to appease the gods. And then he goes down and Jonah is so mad at God that Jonah's asleep in the bottom in despair, right? And, he, and the sailor comes down and says, hey, what are you doing, you sleeper? Wake up, you sleeper. Call out to your God. Maybe he will save us. See, this is what we do when our lives fall apart. Our marriage hits a rough patch. Our kids start going down the wrong direction. We lose a job. A family member gets cancer. We pray. We get religious. No matter how rebellious you are, we get religious. What this this story shows us is religion isn't enough. Praying in some kind of general way isn't enough to take away your fears. See, because of sin, we're all born in sin. We have this dull picture of God. We have this kind of corrupt concept of who God is. See, we're all born thinking that God should, he just loves the good people and he, you know, he wants to destroy the bad people. And, you know, if you're good enough, somehow you cross the line into being one of those good people. And hopefully most of us spend most of our life thinking that the line for being good enough is just somewhere on the backside of me. Right? So anybody who's a little worse than me is probably going to hell. And anybody who's a little better than me, well, you know, I'm on my way to becoming better like them. We all think that somewhere down deep that what God really wants from us What God really wants from us is our obedience. He wants good, moral, hardworking people. So if you want to be on God's good side, you better get your act together. Now listen, this is what's interesting, I think. That is a fear-based concept of how to relate to God. God becomes my uh, my self-salvation project. God becomes my self-salvation project. He becomes the way for me to manage my fears, right? I just go pray. If you feel fearful, just go pray and, and just in your mind say, okay, it's not going to happen to me because God's going to take care. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. I'm going to pray. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So God's going to bless me. God's going to give me what he's going to protect me. My kids won't go bad. My marriage won't fail. See, it's religion. God becomes my self-salvation project. Listen to how Tim Keller describes this. He's a pastor in Manhattan. The essence of a fear-based religion is to say, God, I will do anything you want if only you'll help me in this way, right? Help me get married, help me with my children, keep me safe, help me in my career. I'll do only if, if, if only this. I'll do only if you do this. What's so ironic and paradoxical about saying I'll do only if is the very statement proves you won't do the one thing that God wants. What do I mean? 
The one thing God wants is you to love him without ifs. When you say, I'll do anything if, the one thing you won't do is love him without ifs. You will never be free from fear until you love God without ifs. Because when you say, God, I'll do this and I'll do anything if, do you know what's on the other side of your if? You're a real God. I'll do anything if you keep my marriage together. Your real God is your marriage. I'll do anything if I'm successful in this career. Your real God is your career. I'll do anything if you make me financially prosperous. Your real God is your money. You see that? That's where we've got these sailors. Get religious. Pray. Save us. Do, do enough good works. And we see that well, this is so interesting here, right? We see, look at verse nine. Let's just, let's just go to the scripture and look at verse nine. First off, they ask, they, they come down, downstairs, right? They find out about Jonah. They ask him all these identity questions. Who are you? Where are you from? Who's your people? Who's your God? Look what J- Jonah says in verse nine. He says to them, I'm a Hebrew, all right? That's God's covenant people. Okay, and these sailors might not have known that. And I fear the Lord, that's Yahweh. Okay, that's the God of the Hebrews. It's Abraham's covenant-keeping God, the God of Israel, right? And I fear the Lord. Well, we could talk about that. I don't really know, you know, if you really are right now. But listen, look, here's this catechism answer here. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So what Jonah say right here? Oh, he goes, he's basically, they come down, they go, who are you? Who do you serve? Where are you from? Oh, I serve the God who made it all. Immediately, they're, they're polytheistic. They probably, they, they haven't heard about this concept, that there's a God who says he made it all. He was the uncreated creator. He was the beginning. He had no beginning. He was the beginning. And Jonah says, yeah, I serve that God. I'm of that people and I'm running from him. Now, this, this is going to show us why religion doesn't work. Okay. Religion can't deliver us from our fears, right? We just learned a lot about Jonah. Jonah's running from God. And how do these people respond? Look what religion does. How do these folks respond? Look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? So they were afraid of the storm. And now they hear this guy's on, on the run from like a major God. And that's probably not going, going to go well for them, Right? So they're exceeding. See, religion has actually multiplied their fears. That's what religion does. It multiplies our fears. That's what any self-salvation strategy does. It actually multiplies our fears. Religious people and religion only makes people more neurotic. It doesn't actually take care of your fear. See, remember is God, I do this for you. Now you have to bless me and give me, give me a good life. Well, these sailors, if that's religion, I'm a good person, and then God has to bless me, what do these sailors have to offer? <laughs> oh, I have never done anything good. I'm immoral. Um, I serve a plethora of gods. Um, no, who knows what I just did when we, you know, we were back at port, right? Out having a good time at port. Um, he probably knows about that. I'm going to die. I have no, if I have a moralistic religious view of God, he punishes the bad people and gives grace to the good people. If I'm a bad person, if I'm a sailor, I'm out of luck. I'm going for a swim, right? I'm going to drown. My worst fears in life are about to be realized as a sailor. 
So, now, for, for some of you in here, you might be going, yes, see, religion, it's all fear-based. That's why I'm not religious. That's why I don't go to church. That's why I got drug here by my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my whoever. That's why, you know, religion is the opium of the people. I don't even want it, you know, stay away from it. But don't you see here that the sailors aren't churchgoers? See, it's the sailors aren't religious, uh, religious type moralistic people, but their religion is deeply embedded in their heart. They can't get away from their religion. So when a storm of life comes, when danger comes, when their fear erupts, or their religion pops up to the surface. It's like they can't even help it. Right? I said it last week, you know, that, that truism that there's no atheists in foxholes, right? Religion is anything I use to save myself from my deepest fears. Now, it could be building bunkers and stockpiling pork and beans, right? You see this. Now, listen, we kind of think, oh, there's a danger out there, whether if you watch those shows ever, you know, it could be ISIS or it could be, you know, a solar flare or whatever the, whatever the thing is that, that has people building bunkers. Now, listen, you know what? We need to be prepared. We need to, you know, carry machine guns and we need to stockpile all this stuff and have two years worth of toilet paper. We need all that. And I, I want to say like, really? Listen, listen, maybe, but does that deliver you from your fears? Because, and this is just, you know, you watch those shows. Those people do not look like they're not afraid, right? Those people, <laughs> they don't look very neighborly, right? You go to knock on their door to borrow some sugar and you might get shot, right? Their preparation, their way of handling their fear has actually made them a little bit more neurotic, it's made them more crazy. It's made them more worried. It's made them, everybody's a possible threat now and everything's going to be the end of the world now. See, our human ways to deal with fear just multiplies our fear, right? Self-salvation projects never work. And, and I wish we could believe that this morning. For, for Sheila LaBeouf, he, he believed that one more movie was his answer. One more movie, one more starring role was going to make him feel like a man, was going to make him feel successful, was going to give him what he looked for, was going to relieve him from his fear. But it never worked. That was his salvation project. Now, like I said before, religion never works. Our attempts to deliver ourselves from our fear never works, but there is a way that does. There is something that can deliver our fears and it's totally different from religion. I just want to push pause right here. And if you kind of think or have thought that religion and Christianity were the same things, I want to show you that they're completely different. Okay. Every other world religion, every other way to save yourself from just your success or being a mom or being married, whatever our self-salvation projects are, those are all religious. Christianity is something totally different. It's in its own category, right? No other world religion, no other way to save yourself has what Christianity has and at the center. And of course, that's Jesus Christ, but that's a concept called grace. Okay, and we're going to get into that right now. Look in this story, verse 11. So these... Sailors are freaking out. They were scared. 
Then they hear about God. Now they're even more scared because they went from rebels to religious and religious won't save them. So look, verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So they they pinpointed the problem, right? Okay, Joni, you're the problem. What do we have to do to you to be saved from this storm? All right. Jonah said to them, oh, it's simple. Pick me up and hurl me. I love this. Hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, most scholars say that Jonah is not being gracious there. I mentioned this before. Jonah is not, you know, just being self-sacrificial. Jonah is saying, I kind of hope you guys all, you know, I hope Nineveh drowns. I don't want to fulfill the mission of God. Just throw me in. I'd rather die and go preach the gospel to these Ninevites. I'd rather die. Now, it's interesting what's about to happen here. Let's keep reading. Nevertheless, so first pause. In a sense, Jonah just preached the gospel to these sailors. You want to be saved from your greatest fear? You're going to have to throw one man overboard. You're going to have to sacrifice one man, throw one man into your fears, your greatest fear, and you'll be saved from your fear. One man must die for the many. Okay? In a sense, and I'm going to get to it a little bit clearer in a minute. In a sense, they just preached, he just preached the gospel to them. You want to be saved? Kill me. You want to be saved? Throw me into the wrath of God. I'll, right? I, then you, the wrath will stop and you'll be saved. Okay? So in a sense... Jonah just preached the gospel to these sailors and look how these sailors respond. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. What's the the response? Look, this is the default mode of the human heart. Your only way to be delivered from fear is through the self-sacrificial death of one man. One man can take away your fears. If you put your faith in him, you're going to have to throw one person into the wrath, the sea, let him drown, let him die, and you'll all be saved. And they look and they go, no, I'll row harder. How many times do people come into a church and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and it says nothing can save you but the grace of Jesus. Nothing can save you but the mercy of God. Your righteousness is filthy rags and you must believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Get the righteousness of God by faith. Stand only in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how you relate to God. And then we go, ooh, yeah, but I'm going to really work harder. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to be more involved in community. I'm going to be a better person. And we need to hear this this morning. We need to hear this. There is no peace. There is no comfort in religion. There is no rest in trying harder and rowing faster. That's religious. So right away, we see this this automatic response to the people. They hear the gospel respond religiously. They can't believe in grace. They can't accept one man dying for them. They've got to work harder. They've got to earn it. They've got to be better. And just imagine like this God is causing this whole storm. What's he going to do if we murder somebody? What's he going to do if we just throw this bloke overboard? Right? If he's a wrathful God, he's going to just probably destroy us. Now, I think this is the most important, as I'm beginning to close, this is the most important part of this sermon. Religion 
your efforts to be good enough will not save you. We can never row hard enough. There are only two types of people in the world. There are religious people and there are Christians. Now you might think, oh, those are irreligious people. No, no, no. Everybody's religious. They're using something to save themselves from their fears. Just like these sailors, they went from rebels to religious. They're rowing hard, trying to save themselves. We want to cooperate with God. We want to save ourselves. We want to clean ourselves up and feel good about ourselves. Whether it be through our work, through our education. Once I get that master's degree, then I'm finally going to be that guy. I'm finally going to feel good about myself. Their church attendance and what God does in his grace is he sends tempestuous storms to his people to just obliterate their self-salvation projects. To back, to put them on an open sea where there's no hope. You are going to drown. Your greatest fear is going to be realized if you don't place your faith in the one who will dive into the storm for you. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit are trying to teach us this morning the difference between religion and grace. Religion is always try harder so that God will bless you. But then when things go bad for you, you're powerless. The only answer is to either give up like Jonah, sleep in the bottom of the boat and wish for death, or to try harder like the sailors. I'll do better next time. I'll go harder. I'll learn from my mistakes. But grace, see... Grace drowns our fears in the love of God. Now, how does that look? They're rowing hard. Look at the verse. They're rowing hard, trying to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. God is against their moral self-effort to save themselves. God is opposed to them saving themselves. They're not going to do it. They're going to drown. It's imminent. What do they do? Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now listen, remember? Before it was they prayed to their gods, little g, plural, gods. Now it's they called out to Yahweh. They called out to Jonah's God. They called out to the uncreated creator. They called out to the one God. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. There's something that makes God happy about this story. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Now you got to get this. You've ever watched Dangerous Deadliest Catch, whatever that show is. And the storms come up and they're on the deck and it's just the boats rocking. And these are probably state-of-the-art boats compared to what's back in the day, right? And the boats rocking and the storm. I mean, you got these huge waves and squalls and there's ice everywhere. And just, just think about just the chaos of, a, of an epic tempestuous storm. And they're, they know they're, they're going to drown. They're going to die. They've, all their self-salvation projects have failed them. All their other gods have failed them. They've got one last hope. That's faith and repentance in the God, Yahweh. And now take this bloke and throw him overboard. And as soon as he, and you just imagine, you see him. And then, boom, as soon as he's in, boom. 
the sea is still. The wind stops. Now, professional fishermen, right? Professional sailors, right? That doesn't happen. And what does it say? Look how they responded. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Now listen, what you expect in this progress of fear is fear, more fear, more fear. Oh, deliverance from fear. Peace. But what we see is fear, more fear, more fear. What just happened? Fearing God exceedingly. Can you imagine? Storm, soon as he hits the water, still like glass. Now, this is different from being afraid of God. They were afraid of God before. Now they have a fear of God. This is the fear that swallows all other fears. This is the fear that drowns all other fears. Fearing God and being afraid of God are totally different. See, fearing God is... Can you imagine that? What would you do? Doosh. See, go still. I've never seen the sun do that. I've never seen the wind do that. I've never seen the waves do that. This is an awe. This is a worship. See, God, when God moves and people are saved by grace, worship happens. Oh, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to worship you. I'm gonna, I mean, they offer sacrifices to him. That's when you know you've been impacted by grace. Worship happens. Listen, when, you, when you're on your self-salvation project, worship doesn't happen. You always feel obligated. You feel duty. You feel like you have to do more and you're never quite good enough. But when God saves through grace, worship. Psalm 130 says, it's interesting, listen, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that there's a God who can forgive. And this is the fear, the awe, the respect. It captures our imagination and our hearts, and it causes us to respond in worship. See, rowing hard to save yourself makes you sweaty and keeps you active, but it never leaves you to worship. Now, in this text, we see how do we get delivered from our fears? These sailors show us it's not through religion. It's not through our own effort or through our own labor. Self-salvation projects always fail. Jonah's led him to despair in the bottom of the boat. The sailors couldn't save themselves through prayer or rowing faster. Listen, here it is. It's through a personal experience of being saved from your greatest fear at the complete and total expense of someone else. That's how you defeat your fears. Someone else drowns for you. It's the only way. See, this is the gospel according to Jonah. Jesus Christ is the true and better Jonah. Jesus was willingly thrown into the wrath of God for us to save us. A bunch of religious sailors who would rather row hard than have Jesus die for us. Jesus proves to us. He counteracts this dull, vague vision we have of God. And Jesus proves to us that God is actually for us and God actually loves us and God has actually provided a way for us to love him. God doesn't want our hard work and moral excellence to earn our way to him. God wants us to receive the grace of God and worship him in it. Jesus is the proof that God loves us. 
And what you find out as you dig around in your fears, what you find out is deep down at the bottom of your soul, your greatest fear. Now you, you might not say this, but if you get down to it, I promise you it's there. Your greatest fear is that you think you cannot be loved by God. He, he maybe puts up with you. He tolerates you, but I cannot be loved by God. I've been telling my missional community a lot lately that God is totally into them. And it just makes people squirm. God's into me. What do you like? What do you mean? Like in Jesus, God is into you. He loves you. We're going to keep saying it. Zephaniah, he sings over us. He's pleased with us because of the work of his son. He's happy. There's a smile on his face. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to love you. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want your white knuckled obedience. Now, I think when you see Jesus here, when you're a sailor and your greatest fear in life is drowning and you see Jonah go in for you, and obviously they're not aware that he's in the belly of a whale, right? And if they are aware of it, if they saw that, that's even worse, right? Holy, right? That's even worse. They don't, oh, I bet he's alive in there, right? They don't, they don't get that. Now, when you see Jesus like they did, and I think all of us have to do this, we have to see Jesus in the place of Jonah, us as the sailors, we're trying to save ourselves. Jonah's swallowed up or Jonah's drowned. We have to see Jesus thrown overboard for us. We have to see him drowned for us. We have to be captured by that. And if we don't, if we're not captured by that, the only other response is rowing harder, working harder, be better. Now, to get really practical, and I don't do this very often for just a moment. How do you do this? What's your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? Is it the fear of failure? The fear of not being accepted? Is it the fear a child will die? Is it the fear a spouse will leave you first? Is it a, is it a fear that you'll be broke? I believe the answer to your fears are to, is to see Jesus thrown into them for you. Right? Jesus experienced loneliness and separation. Jesus experienced ridicule and humiliation. Jesus was poor. Jesus has literally been thrown into all of our fears. He's been thrown. He was crucified naked on a cross for us, he's been drowned. And whatever our fears are, Jesus has felt them and he's took them all the way to the cross and all the way to eternity and he's died with them. He's been thrown into whatever our fears are and he came out resurrected. And he promises us that he's gonna be with us through whatever storm that we have to go through. Now, have, can you do that? Like in your mind, can you do that? Or are you still rowing hard trying to save yourself? no matter what your fear is. The only way out is to see Jesus thrown into it for you. I think we need to meditate on that. We need to think about that through our day. See, Jesus loved you so much that on the cross, 
He went through whatever your greatest fear is. He went through shame. He went through separation. He went through weakness. He went through ridicule and poverty. Jesus went through it all, took it all the way to death. And three days later, he rose in victory. He lost it all so that in him, we could have it all. We don't have to fear shame or fear ridicule because we stand in the righteousness of God. We are loved by God. No matter what happens in our life, we have this strong foundation that we are loved and accepted through the perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. Now, why is it many of us push away from that and we like to row hard? Why is it when many of us, like the sailors, oh, the answer is somebody has to die for you. Substitutionary atonement. Throw somebody in the water. Why does somebody else have to die? And, and, and we automatically go, let's row harder. Let's work this off. And this is what I think. <clears throat> we row so hard trying to do anything and everything in our power to not need God's grace. We don't want to need God's grace. Why? Because this is why. If your total salvation, your total deliverance, the total drowning of all your fears is a result of what Jesus has done for you, if it's all grace and somebody else is drowned for you and you don't participate in that at all, then he could ask anything of you and how could you not give it to him? See, when I receive grace, the booth said it right. I'm, I'm giving up control. Of my life. I'm out of control now. I've received grace. I had to have someone save me. I give up all control. See, that's why when I give up control, he could ask anything from me. He could say, go to Nineveh. He could say, stay right there in that marriage and work it out. He could say, stay in that job. Stay in that missional community. He could tell me to do anything. And how could I refuse him if it's all grace? That's what we're afraid of. Afraid of losing control. We would rather save ourselves. But self-salvation projects always fail. Nothing smaller than God can give us the freedom and the fulfillment that we're looking for. So let me finish that verse I said earlier. Proverbs 29, 25, it says this. The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of man is a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We cannot save ourselves from our fears. We must be saved by Jesus. Money, relationships, love, entertainment, none of these things can save us. Jesus can if you put your faith in him. And that's a daily faith. That's not like a one-time, one-and-done, walk the aisle, get your Jesus card, walk out. This is an everyday putting your faith in him as he puts your fears to death through the power of the gospel. I'm going to offer this. If you're in here and you are sailor-like, right? You've been trying to save yourself from your own fears. Uh, I'm going to say, listen, here's what, remove your trust from your idol. Remove your trust from that self-salvation project. Put your trust in Jesus. That's what it is. This is the craziness of Christianity. There is no ladder to climb to be a Christian. It's believe. It's grace. It's been done for you already in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. The only true salvation, true freedom from our fears can be found by being rescued by Jesus. 
First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. We are loved and we love because we've been first loved by him. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want us to think about that. I want us to turn from how we've been trying to save ourselves from our own fears. I want us to put our faith anew in the work of Jesus Christ as our only hope, the only one who can deliver us from our fears. And listen, this is so what I love so much. One of the things I love so much about taking the Lord's Supper every week, that this is kind of like God, Jesus, is, he's already done it. Right? And, and when we walk to the table and we open up our hands and we say, this is the body that's been broken for you and this is the blood that's been shed for you, you're reminded. This is proof. God, God accepted the sacrifice. God was happy. When it said, we know that we, they threw him overboard, we know this pleased you. God found pleasure in Jonah being thrown overboard. God found pleasure in the death of his son. Why? Because he's going to get a people now. He gets us. It wasn't a great deal, right, on his part. It was great for us, but he gets us, right? But when, when you come to the table and you open your hands and you receive the body and the blood of Jesus, he's putting something tangible there. You can say, this is proof. This is proof you're loved. This is how much you're loved. To the point of death, he went that far to prove his love to you. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's a gift of grace. It's a means of grace. Meditate on it. Receive it in that way today. Father, bef- hundreds of years before Jesus, you write this story. You take this man through this epic adventure and we see the pre- just precursors. We see Jesus all over this passage. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. You had him planned from the very beginning. Our salvation isn't on our own effort through the sacrifice of another. This isn't a new story just to the New Testament. This is the story. And I ask that you would save people in here, save them from their fears, save them from your wrath, save them from their sins, save them from eternal destruction and deliver us, Father. And religion will never deliver us, but grace can I pray this morning as we come to the table, you would seal. Let this be a sign and a seal upon our heart that we're loved by the God of the universe who sent his one and only son to die in our place for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.